The second reading is from um, Exodus chapter 18, verses 1 to 27. can be found on page 77 of the Pew Bibles, or you can follow it on the screen behind me. Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law, Jethro, received her and her two sons. One son was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' Moses' sons and wife came to him in the desert, where he was camped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and laws. Moses' father-in-law replied, what, are you, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this 
and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. This is the word of God. Thanks, Melanie. Uh, you could keep your Bible open. We'll be working through Exodus 18. And if you're a note taker, you'll find an outline in your handout, so you might find that helpful as well. But it's good to um, be approaching the end of our series. It's been a great series, working through Exodus. And so we've got today, we've got next week, and then we'll take a break until next year. But it's a good one for our second last one. But before we begin, let's pray and ask God for his help. So please pray with me. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your word. Thanks that in it you reveal to us who you are and what you're like. As we consider it today, would you be at work in us through the power of your spirit? Please help us not to merely listen to your word and so deceive ourselves, but to do what it says as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you show love? How do you express to those around you that you love them? If you're an Aussie male, then the chances are you do that by insulting them. Uh, us Aussie males love to show our love to each other by insulting each other, by banter. That's why uh, every time John insults my hairline, I see that as him, I hear that as him saying, I love you. <laughs> or maybe you're a patter. My dad is a patter. Every time I see my dad, he comes up to me and he pats me on the shoulder. That's how he shows love. Or maybe you're a cooker. Cassie's mum is a cooker and it's great. She shows her love by cooking delicious food. Fried chicken, beef rendang, beef skewers. That's a kind of love I can get behind. Or maybe it's some other way. Maybe hugs, phone calls, always asking and following up for those you love. How do you show love? But what about this? How does God show love? Have you ever wondered about that? How does God show love to those he loves? It's actually a really important question because being able to answer that question means that we will see and understand God's love when he shows it. In premarital counselling, I often tell couples, it's important to know how the other one shows love because if you don't, you might miss it. I'm a gift giver, that's how I show love. I show love by giving gifts and it's important for Cassie to know that. Because when I shower her with gifts, if she doesn't know that's how I show love, then it might just seem a little bit weird and a bit of a waste of money. See, even though I might be speaking love, Cassie doesn't hear it as love. And in the same way, if we don't know how God shows love, then we might miss it when he does. And so then, how does God show love? Well, the answer the Bible gives is that God shows love through provision. We've seen that a lot in Exodus. In many ways, the book of Exodus is a book about provision. We heard it in the wonderful kids' talk before. But think about all the provisions that God has given in Exodus. His people were stuck in slavery, and God came along and provided rescue. Then when they were stuck at the Red Sea, about to be killed by the enemy army, God came along and provided the parting of the Red Sea. 
Then when they were in the wilderness starving, God gave food. When thirsty, God gave water. When attacked, God gave military victory. God is a God who shows his love in his provision for his people. And actually, that's what our passage today is about. Maybe when you heard it read out before, you wondered, what's this all about? It might seem a bit of an odd passage, right in the midst of all of the weird and the wonderful things that are happening, deadly plagues, walls of water, miraculous food from heaven. In the midst of that, we get this passage that's about a family reunion and some wise advice. And we might think to ourselves that it all seems a little bit mundane. But actually, this passage is so important because it gives us a glimpse of God's character and of his provision for Moses. In a sense, it's like God's coming to Moses and he's saying, Moses, I know it's been a hard slog. I know it's been hard caring for these people. They're obnoxious and they're obstinate. They've been grumbling so much, not mainly against you, but against me, but it's been hard going. And so let me provide for you. Let me give you just what you need. And then God does. In his love, we see God's provision here in two ways. We see God's provision in a time of reprieve with his family. And we see God's provision in some wise advice from his family. And so firstly, we see God's provision in a time of reprieve with his family. And that's just what Moses needs. Because think about Moses' life with me. He's constantly losing his families. When he was born, he had a family who loved him and who cared about him. But then what happened? Well, his mum had to give him up, had to put him in the basket to save his life. He had a family and then he lost it. God then gave him an adopted family, Pharaoh's daughter, who found him and brought him in. But then Moses killed the Egyptian and his family disowned him and Moses had to flee. He had a family and then he lost it. Then he gained a new family, a wife and a father-in-law. Remember that story? As Moses arrives in Midian, He's like a true gentleman. He sees a damsel in distress, or rather seven damsels in distress, and Moses steps in and rescues them. The seven damsels were Jethro's seven daughters, and Jethro gives him Zipporah, one of his daughters, as a wife. Moses has gained a new family. But after staying with that family on the family farm for 40 years, Moses then goes to Jethro and says, hey, I've got to go back to Egypt. And so we might look at that and think again that Moses had a family, and now has lost it. But we see today that he hasn't. We see God's provision in a family. And in fact, that's why we're told over and over again that this is Moses' father-in-law. Did you see how many times it says that in the passage? 12 times, 12 times in only 27 verses, we're told that this is Jethro, who is Moses' father-in-law. Why does it say that? Is God trying to help us not get confused with all of the other Jethros in the Bible? Well, of course not. This is the only one. But rather, it's making clear God is showing his provision in the gift of a family. Our story starts with Moses sending his wife and his kids out to see Grandpa, which I think probably means that Zipporah and the kids were with Moses throughout the whole Exodus. We don't know for sure, but it does make sense. It would have been hard for Moses to tell the Israelites he was all in if his own wife and kids are off somewhere else safely. So they were with him, but now as they approach Mount Sinai, God sends them off to Grandpa. Have a look at verse 2. 
After Moses had sent away his wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law, Jethro, received her and her two sons. As they arrive, you can imagine the kids tell Grandpa all that he's missed. And you can just imagine how excited they must have been. Grandpa, you should have seen it. There were frogs everywhere at school, in the garden, at the supermarket. Frogs everywhere. And the storm, you should have seen the storm. Hailstones the size of basketballs. And the blood, Grandpa. God turned the water to blood. Blood. Grandpa, we wish you'd been there. We wish you'd seen it, Grandpa. And Paul, Jethro, you can imagine he doesn't really know what to think. And so he comes out to Moses then to hear the full story. And as he does, Moses bows down to greet his father-in-law. In other words, he shows respect to his father-in-law. And you can imagine as he does, Jethro comes up and says, are you well, my son? And Moses replies, I am. Thanks to God. Let me tell you about it. And so they go into the tent, the sitting room, and they sit there by the fireplace, warm cups of tea in their hand, and Moses updates Jethro on all that's been happening. Have a look at verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. They sit down, and Moses begins, Jethro, I couldn't believe what I saw. God did some wild stuff. He sent so many bugs that they blotted out the sky. He made the sun disappear for days on end. And he even killed off every firstborn in Egypt. It was both terrifying and awe-inspiring. But God used it to rescue us. Finally, after so long, Pharaoh let us go. And so I I thought we were set. I thought we were free, Grandpa. But then Pharaoh reneged. And he chased us and we were stuck by the Red Sea. And I thought I was a goner. I thought that was it. I thought we were dead. And we would have been, except for God. Because what God did, Jethro, he parted the water and we walked through. You should have seen it. It was incredible. Walls of water 10 meters high on every side. And as we walked along, the spray off the water was soaking me to the bone. Yet God got us to pass through safely. And we made it to the other side. And then the army, the Egyptian army, they looked at us and they thought, oh, that looks good. And they followed us in. But you know what God did, Jethro? He closed back the water and he washed away Pharaoh and his army. His whole army is gone. I've never felt so relieved. And so we were free. But then we were out in the desert and we had no food. And the people started getting hangry and so they were so hangry, I thought they were going to eat me. But again, God provided, as he always does. God gave us food from heaven, bread from heaven. And God gave us quail. Have you ever had barbecued quail, Jethro? It's beautiful. Jethro, God is so good. He's looked after us time and time and time again. Jethro, how I wish you'd been there to see it. How I wish you'd experienced just how good God is. That's what Moses would have told him, isn't it? That's the story of Exodus. How do you think Jethro would respond? Imagine you said that to someone you know. Imagine you went to someone you know and you said, do you know how wonderful God is? He sent 10 mighty plagues to rescue his people. He then parted a giant sea so they could escape. He then sent miraculous food from heaven. God is good. If you said that to someone, how do you think they'd respond? Or maybe something like, no way, you're making it up. You're foolish to believe that. Isn't that so often how people respond? Not always, but often. 
So what about Jethro? How does he respond? Did you see it there? He rejoices. Have a look at verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He's delighted. Why? Well, because his family's safe. His daughter has a husband who's alive. His grandsons have a a father who's alive. And he has a son-in-law who's alive. I mean, thinking about my father-in-law, Cassie's dad, of course he wishes well for me. I'm his daughter's husband. I'm his grandson's father. And I'm his son by law, by marriage. Of course he wishes well for me. We're family. And in the same way, Jethro cares about his family. And he looks at what God has done for his family. And he feels truly blessed. So blessed, in fact, that he turns to the God of his family. Did you see that? Have a look at verses 10 and 11. Jethro said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Jethro sees what God has done and he says to Moses, Now I know that he is the true God. That this God, your God, is greater than all other gods. And this is an amazing thing for Jethro to be saying because he was a priest of the Midianites. In other words, he was a religious leader of other gods. And yet he hears what God has done and he believes. See, just like us today, Jethro wasn't there. Jethro didn't see it with his own eyes. Yet he heard and he believed and he praised God. And that's the only right way to respond to God, to hear of what God has done and to believe. I think it also shows us the importance of sharing to others what God has done in our lives. Think about Moses. It would have been so easy for him to just sit at that family reunion and bite his tongue, just enjoy the meal together, but not say anything. But he didn't. He shared with Jethro and God worked through that. And praise God for that. See, isn't it encouraging to us to see and to think when we share with others what God has been doing for us, God can work in that. And so that's the first half of the passage. And you see how gracious God is here. We see God's love in the provision of time, a time of reprieve with his family. See, after the hard slog of the exodus, God is saying, Moses, take a break and enjoy my goodness. Enjoy this family reunion. Enjoy this little time of reprieve. This is my gift to you. And sometimes in life, it feels like that's the season we need, doesn't it? We've had the wilderness, we've had the hard slog, but that's what we need, a time of rest, a time with family, a time to recharge our batteries. Because the reality is that some seasons are difficult. The time of the Exodus was a difficult season. But God sustained Moses. And now God's given the provision of a time of reprieve with his family. A time to rest and recuperate. And so when we're in those seasons in life, we do enjoy them. Just like Moses, we enjoy God's good provision. But at the same time, we know that there's more to come. Another season, because the job's not done, yet even as we enjoy the reprieve, we have our eyes set on what's to come. 
Uh, That's what we see in the second half of the passage. For Moses, God is preparing him for what is to come. He's had a little reprieve and now it's eyes back on the goal. Eyes on the big task ahead because he does have a big task ahead. He's going to bring the people to the foot of the mountain of God and they'll hear from God and be given God's law. But before that happens, Moses needs to get prepared. Otherwise, how else can he care for these million people under his care? And to do that, we see God's love in his provision of some wise advice from his family. Moses gets up the next day, goes back to work, and he does what he normally does, sits in judgment for the people. They come to him and they bring all of their disputes and their disagreements to him. He stole my cow. Her kids always fight with my kids. Their tent is encroaching on my tent's space. And Moses mediates between them. And interestingly, did you notice what he uses to mediate with them? Verse 16, it's God's decrees and instructions. Have a look. Whenever they have it, this is Moses speaking, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Now isn't that interesting? Because this is before Mount Sinai, the place where God gives his law. Yet still, Moses and the people have some kind of understanding of what it means to live for God, what it looks like to live for God. See, it wasn't like the people had no idea what it looked like to live for God and they were stumbling around blind until they got the Ten Commandments and then finally they're like, oh, okay, this is what it looks like to live for God. No, 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 the people already knew, at least in broad terms, what it looked like to live for God, to obey God. And then the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law solidified and codified that. And Jethro watches Moses teaching and instructing about God's laws and judging between the disputes of God's people. And as he watches his son-in-law, his heart is moved. So he comes to Moses and he puts his arm around his shoulders and he says, son, you're crazy. What you're doing isn't good. You're going to burn out. Have a look at verses 17 and 18. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who have come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. See, there's too much work for just one person. Because no matter how high capacity someone might be, they can't do it all themselves. I heard recently the story about Jimmy Carter, the former US president. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's an intelligent and a talented man. But he only served one term as the president of the United States. Do you know why? Well, at least in part, because he was a micromanager. He had to have his hands on every single little detail. In fact, apparently he even micromanaged the White House tennis court. He needed to know who was playing and at what time on the White House tennis court. I mean, isn't that ridiculous? What does the President of the United States need to know about a tennis court? He doesn't need to know that. He needs to focus on more important things. Nuclear codes, building alliances, trade deals. That's what he needs to focus on. He doesn't need to focus on who's playing tennis on the tennis court. But he couldn't delegate. And it led to burnout. That's the danger in caring too much. And Jethro doesn't want that for his son-in-law. And so he gives him some wise advice. He gives him that big management word, delegate. Have a look at verses 21 and 22. (coughs) Jethro speaking. 
but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. Moses is to set up a team of judges underneath him to share the load. They can do the simpler ones and he'll do the more complex ones. In a sense, this is the Presbyterian model of elders where it's not just one minister doing everything but a team of men, godly men, who hate dishonest gain, who can together care for the people. As the saying goes, many hands make light work. And so isn't it great to see that Jethro was a Presbyterian? But this wise advice is God working to provide for his people so that they will be orderly and well cared for. This is preparation. God's saying to Moses, you can't do it alone, Moses. Here's Jethro and he's got some wise things to say to you. Pay attention. And if Moses does, it'll be a win-win. Did you see that? Verse 23. If you do this and God so commands you'll be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. It's a win-win because Moses won't burn out and the people will be satisfied because they'll get the love and the care they long for. See, in this wise advice from Jethro, we see God's loving provision as he prepares Moses for the task ahead. And not just for for the next week, but the next 40 years. In a sense, I think this passage is a little bit like when you go swimming. Moses has been diving down under the water in the story of the Exodus. And now he, in 18, he comes up and gets a breath of new air, ready to then dive back down again. Because from here, Moses is off to Mount Sinai. He's going to talk with God. He's going to get the Ten Commandments. He's going to see the glory of God. He's going to be heartbroken as he sees the people make the golden calf. He's going, to get the, he's going to experience the extreme sadness of the people arriving at the edge of the promised land and then chickening out. See, there's still much to be done. And God's using the provision of wise advice to prepare Moses for what's to come. And when we think about it, doesn't that feel maybe a little bit like what God is doing here at our church at the moment? Doesn't it feel like maybe God in his provision is preparing us for the season that's to come? Think about all of the provision God has given us over just the last few years. God in his wonderful provision has given us a strong and united session, four of which have only been voted in in the last couple of years. He's given us a gifted and humble board of management and many godly ministry team leaders. He's continued to grow the staff team. Just a few years ago it was two, now it's five. He's continued to grow our church. In the mornings now, we're bursting at the seams and in the evening, we're growing steadily. And what about the property next door? The provision of a property next door. Surely that wasn't chance, that was God's good provision. When we look at all of that, doesn't it make you wonder whether God is preparing us for what's to come? In his good provision, God is giving us what we need to keep honouring him, and to keep taking his gospel to our surrounding suburbs. doesn't make you, it's, it's exciting to think about, doesn't it? Isn't it? To think about what God could have in store for us. All of the ways that we can honour and glorify God. And so, that's our passage. 
In it, we see God's love shown in his provision. We see God's provision of a time of reprieve with his family. And we see God's provision in some wise advice from family. But even more than that, I think when we look at the whole Bible and when we look at our lives, we see God's provision in every single part of our lives. And so important that we do see that provision in front of us. Because to the extent that we do, that is the extent that we will see God's love for us. Remember at the start I said I'm a gift giver and I show Cassie love by giving her gifts. But if she doesn't realise that's how I show love, then she will miss my love when it's shown. And in the same way, if we miss this about God, if we miss that God shows his love in his provision, if we miss that, then we'll miss God's love shown to us when he does. And so what we need to do actually is to see God's provision as his expression of his love to us, which should lead to thankfulness. And so whenever I get my salary, whenever my pay comes into my bank account, that's God's provision. Thank you, God, for loving me. When I go to the doctor, that's provision. Thank you, God, for loving me. When I take my car to the mechanic, that's provision. Thank you, God, for loving me. When I go to the supermarket, that's provision. Thank you, God, for loving me. When there's food on the table, that's provision. Thank you, God, for loving me. When we live in a safe and stable country, that's provision. Thank you, God, for loving me. When I get out of bed in the morning and I'm fit and healthy, that's God's provision. Thank you, God, for loving me. Even little things in life. Melbourne beating Collingwood in the King's birthday last week. That's provision. Thank you, God, for loving me. Provision, provision, provision. It's everywhere. When we look, it is everywhere. God has provided in so many ways. And God's provision is his display of love to us. And so at every point, when you go from here today, and this coming week, and the rest of the year, and the rest of your lives, whatever you're provided by God, that is his demonstration of just how valuable and just how much he loves you. See, how do you know you're greatly loved by God? Well, because of God's provision for you. We might be tempted to think, well, why doesn't God love us like he loved the Egyptians, uh, the Israelites in Egypt? He brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He gave them food from heaven. Why doesn't God love me like he loved them? But of course he does. If every time we see God's provision as his love, then he does. And so to the extent that you see God's provision, you will see God's love for you. And if you're seeing God's provision everywhere, then you'll see God's love for you everywhere. And of course, of all of God's provision, of all of the ways that God has provided for you, his son is the greatest. God has looked on us and he sees what we need the most, forgiveness. And so as that famous Bible verse says, if you need to flip there, you can, John 3.16. Some of you might know it by memory, but flip there if you don't know in your Bible, John 3.16. I don't need the Bible. For God, so loved his, the, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Isn't that a good one to memorize? Do memorize it, that's a good one. But what do we see in that? Well, we see God's love shown in God's provision. 
in Christ, we see God's provision most clearly. God has given us, God has provided us His Son. And in Christ, we see God's love most clearly through the provision of His Son. See, God in His wonderful provision has given us the gift of His Son that we might not perish but shall have eternal life if we just believe in that Son. See, that is God's provision and that is God's demonstration of love to you. God loves you and God loves the world so much that He provided His Son. See, how does God show love? It's by provision, by providing us all that we need and all that we ever will need, and even all that we may not even realize we need. That is who God is, and that is how much God loves you. As we close, I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Exodus 18. We thank you that in it we see what you're like. We see how you show love. You show love by, by your provision. And we thank you for the provisions here you gave Moses. And we thank you for the provisions you've given us. Please help us to see provision in every aspect of our daily lives. Help it to be so clear to us so that when we see your provision, we might also see your love. And particularly, we thank you for your provision of your son, the gift of eternal life through his life, death, and resurrection. We thank you for him, and we thank you that in him, we see just how much you love us. So we pray in his name. Amen.